to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. I have taught and worked in schools across metropolitan and regional Australia, and I am dedicated to supporting big-hearted educators to prioritise their wellbeing and take courageous action despite the everyday pressures of school life. Because I want educators to know, you don't have to sacrifice your health, relationships and happiness to be a great teacher. Together, we are going to learn the lessons to help us teach well and be well. Let the learning begin. Hello and welcome to episode 95 of the podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, and it is lovely to be chatting with you today. It's hard to believe that this is episode 95 and we're slowly moving towards episode 100. To celebrate episode 100, I would love to hear from you, a big-hearted human that is working in education and listening to these conversations and doing things differently. I'd love to hear how this podcast is helping you redesign the way that you live and the way that you work, the small changes that you've made, or the podcast that really spoke to you and resonated with you deeply, because this is what it's all about, building a community, to create a ripple effect in our school communities, where we can be well, where it's normalized to be well, to take deliberate, consistent action, knowing that it's hard and it's worth the effort. So if this podcast has been helping you, I would love to hear from you please reach out by sending us an email or a voice note or an Instagram message or LinkedIn. I'm all over the social. So let me know how this podcast has been helping you because the 100th episode is really a celebration of what is possible when we do the work. What is possible when we take that deliberate action to be well because our world is full of distractions. It is so easy to be consumed by all the things, more work to do, another job on the list. There is always more and more and more. And it requires skill to stop and to think about what is possible within my reality. Yes, there is so much that's out of my control and what is within our control. Today's episode is all about resentment and how we can move beyond it. But how do we get to resentment? What is the path? For many of us, it's that pattern of people-pleasing. Do you identify as a people-pleaser? As a big-hearted human working in schools, we can often fall into the pattern of people-pleasing. So this may sound like, I don't want to rock the boat. It doesn't really matter. I'll just do it anyway. Oh, I don't want to be difficult. I don't want to upset anybody. You get the drift. And as people pleasers, we automatically make decisions based on what's best for everybody else and fail to consider our needs in the process. And this can lead us to feelings of resentment, the resentment that can build and build and build and sometimes burst when we least expect it. As the saying goes, what we resist persists. Today's guest, the warm and wise Julie Tenner, is going to teach us how we can move beyond resentment so we can create more deep and meaningful relationships in our lives. Julie is an author, speaker, facilitator, and relationship and intimacy coach here to revolutionize the way that we love. In 2020, she published her first book, Flowers and Honey, The Art of Relationship, Love, and Desire. 
As a mother of four, Julie knows the importance of love and compassion. Julie is a co-host of the wildly popular podcast, Nourishing the Mother, with over a million downloads and seeks to unshackle modern women from cycles of self-sabotage so they can embrace desire, get more curious, connected and alive in themselves and their relationships. In this conversation, we discuss what resentment can teach us, how resentment holds us back, the power of shifting our perspective, and so much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Julie Tenner. Julie, welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. Oh, Meg, thank you so much for having me. Today we're going to be talking about resentment, how we get there and how we move beyond it. What do you hope listeners will get from this conversation? Oh, gosh, just I hope a sense of sameness, that we're all having the same human experience and that's really normal. There's nothing wrong with us. There's nothing really hugely wrong or that needs huge upheaval in our life. It's just an experience and you get to have some tools to work with it. So what is resentment? Oh, do you know, when you asked me this question, I was like, let me sit with what it is. And the way that I think about it, I think particularly why it's a struggle for so many women is because it's a form of anger. It's like a little, little sister of anger, but it has more of a seething kind of energy to it. So it's a bit like we're directing poison at another person, but we're the ones that are drinking it. And I think that's the problem with the experience of it. But the light side of resentment is that it's just here as feedback to get us into greater alignment and integrity with ourselves. And that's why I like it. Everything's neutral till we attach meaning. Yes, I love that you bring that up already, that we have these experiences and then we attach meaning to them and then the party really begins. Doesn't it? It's so because we're meaning making creatures, aren't we? Like we can see one of those wishing fairy things floating in the wind and we're like, yes, I now have meaning on what that means. Or, you know, like we just, it could be nothing and we now have meaning and we do the same thing with emotions. We feel something and boom, we attach a meaning to what that means about us or the other human or this moment. And so the practice really is to just realize that it's just a feeling and feelings are just feedback. And we don't want to ignore feelings because then we get really, really practiced and really, really good at feeling nothing. And then we don't know what we need and we don't know what we want because feelings are feedback. And we don't want to so wholly believe them that we let feelings do the thinking for us. Right. So I I just think if we can hold that experience of it's just neutral information and what I do with that information is more important. So when it comes to resentment, what are some of the stories we tell ourselves about it? What do we make meaning of? In terms of resentment, I think often we direct it at the other person. I mean, I have a number of things that I wanted to, you know, just highlight with you because I know they're really shared and common experiences. But I think what mostly happens is we get really resentful. We get really out of grace, out of reciprocity, out of feeling good with the other. Now, the other can be an individual, right? It can be our partner. It can be our children. It can be a friend. 
And it can be a larger organization or institution. So it can be a system. It can be a whole organization. It can be a paradigm that you have subscribed to in one way or another. So resentment is there as such beautiful feedback to have the function of moving us back into ourselves. And what I mean by that is if feelings are just feedback, And if we are humans that require just enough self that we can survive in the world and follow our own unique purpose, but we're also relational beings that need just enough love and connection and belonging. So there's a me and there's a we in all of us, right? That's what makes us whole and balanced and complete. And too much either way, we start to get into some trouble. So if we've lost ourselves too much in the we, right, which is the person, the relationship, the organization, the children, whatever the other is, we've lost ourselves in the way we've got too codependent and now we're enmeshed. Then part of the function of resentment will be to create enough of a kind of icky feeling that we feel a bit of repulsion. We kind of a bit repelled from that human or that organization or that work or that experience that we move ourselves away from it and we find more of the me again because we're always trying to keep in balance the we and the me. And if that gets out of alignment, we'll create something that pulls us back into ourselves because that's what we need. It's such a beautiful visualization to think about it in that way. And so many of us can deeply resonate with that feeling of getting lost in the we. Yeah. Losing ourselves in children, losing ourselves in work, losing ourselves in an identity that we did create, but no longer fits us. You know, like there's so many forms of it, isn't it? And so when that reciprocity gets out of balance, when we've become too much in the other, I think it's such a beautiful feedback to just go, oh, I'm just trying to find more of myself here. I actually, there's this, you know, inner guidance system that's really looking after me. And it's just telling me, babes, you've gone too far into someone else. Come back into yourself because you're beautiful and unique and The you and what's important to you and how you lead yourself through your life is really what this world needs. Less of the we, more of the me. Of course, they're in balance, you know, but I love resentment for that because ultimately no one takes advantage of us. It's where our boundaries lie and resentment will be magnificent feedback. Yeah, we can look at boundaries and resentment in the sense that the resentment is the invitation that a boundary has been crossed. Even if we didn't know it had been crossed, but it's like, hello, this is a sign. Yeah, absolutely right. And I think we're so good at doing that to ourselves even. You know, when I was contemplating what this resentment feedback is, like how can it manifest and where does it come from? What I was thinking about is when you and I had been talking pre this podcast, you'd said, you know, I just really see resentment as so key to our lived experiences. And for your world is teachers and my world is relationship and and parenthood. And yet we're all actually having the same conversation around over-functioning that leads to overwhelm where we're now doing all of the things for all of the people except ourselves. And we're in burnout martyrdom and then all of those experiences lead us down the garden path of now we're, we're playing the, you know, scoring tit for tat game against each other. Who has it worse? Who has it easier? Who's got it better? Checks and balances on the deserving that we each have based on that score of rest or support. 
and hustling for our own worthiness because we just actually want our own suffering or hard work to be seen and to be validated. But we're still stuck in, I have to keep doing the hard work. So I could see it really playing out in the people that are in my world. And I thought the way that we had had the conversation for the people that were in your world. So I'm like, yeah, let's dig into what are some key things so that you can really grip into it if you're a listener and go, I get where mine's coming from because then it gives you a foothold on how to take one step forwards, right? So I was thinking about it and really for me, resentment is feedback that you're not living true to you in this moment. You're living according to someone else, a paradigm other, right? Whoever the other is. So when you're not living true to you and you're kind of running from your own intrinsic needs or your own self or what you want or how you want to lead yourself in this world, it can be like a flight response. I'm almost kind of running from myself because it's too hard to own that. And that's for a number of reasons. It can be like people pleasing in a fawn response. Well, I'll just, you know, make the world really good for you and I'll just, you know, be the servant of, you know, deliver whatever it is that you need. And I'm very focused on you. But the problem with those experiences is that if we run our lives for others, others will run our life for us. And that's where I see women. You know, I mean, I mostly see women, but I'm sure it's an experience for men too, who then find themselves completely lost. I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know what I want. I don't know how to find myself sexy or attractive or worthy of success or accolade or, or, you know, being seen unless someone else tells me that I am, right? It gets really complicated. I see that the key wounds that people run there are often, I'm not valued. You don't see me. You don't see my needs. You're not able to meet me. And often these humans have a really big problem with self-celebration you know, sometimes that can lead into, I find it really hard to celebrate my partner or I find it really hard to celebrate my kids sometimes, but mostly it's self-celebration. I can't see how worthy I am. I can't see how much I've done because I'm so focused on everyone else and running that. Like we had talked about overriding your boundaries, which when I look at it is more like a freeze response, right? Is the boundaries there, but it's almost frozen because it's washed over, right? You kind of stuck there. You're in the martyrdom. I'll just maybe get into an overwhelmed state and you're in that freeze mode as well. You're shooting and coercing yourself. You might've learned it in childhood, but you don't even need that anymore. You don't need the parent doing that for you. You coerce yourself. You think your way out of it. You rationalize your way into it, right? You've got the feeling and you're like, mm I'll mind over the top of my body and tell myself this is what it needs to be. Even if I'm not a full yes, and you probably know that you're not, right? You know your body's telling you something, but you just find a way to make it make sense in your head that you have to do this thing. Ignore your body, talking yourself around all the time, which of course is training yourself to ignore your body. And that's a whole other thing. So the key wound here, when I think about it, is more you're taking advantage of me. So we can tend to read the world through people take advantage of me. And I see that in parenting and in relationships and in workplaces. We can tend to find that we stay super silent. We just like tight lip, stoic, keep on keeping on, say nothing. We don't want to rock the boat, but we can only hold that for so long. We're like a pressure cooker. And then we explode like a volcano. 
but we say it's completely justified that we just exploded all over everyone because we'd been silent for so long. And that's really tricky. It's a tricky, hard dynamic to be in, particularly in any type of relationship. And then I can see a fight response, which is more like, it's all on me. It's me and no one else in the world that can do it, which is that over-functioning state, right? You learned that your worth is based on what you do and you can never do enough. You can never do enough for that person or that parent. You can never do enough for that workplace. And the more you feel unworthy, the more you keep doing because hard work is always the answer. And so much hard work that you will run yourself into exhaustion maybe adrenal exhaustion, right? You just burn yourself out. And then the resources that you have personally for energy and capability, you start to feel like this is a finite resource. And I'm now in competition with you and the world over this finite resource that is me. And there's only win or lose. If I have to do something, someone's got to lose here, right? If I got to do what I'm losing, or if I say no, you're losing and there's nothing else in between. And I think that's really hard really hard for these people to rest, really hard to do nothing. Often busyness is their form of numbing. Often they're control freaks. And I say this with so much love because this is me, just everyone knows this is my form of resentment, comes very, you know, very dear to my heart. I think it's often the result of a parentified child, someone who always had to be the one. There was no one but you. There was no parent to hold you as the safe space. So you develop this over-functioning strategy and that's all it is, is a strategy. And the control belief that goes with that as part of that strategy is somehow I could control enough or I need it done my way, both options, because I can't handle the emotional fallout on the other side. I can't handle my own disappointment. I can't handle it being done differently. And if I control enough in my world, I will never have to feel bad. So I can see that there's self-sufficiency there that leads to suffering. And just perpetuates the belief that I can't ask for help. I have a lot of problems receiving anything, receiving love, receiving attention, receiving care, receiving help. And I certainly can't ask for them. And the belief that there is no one but me. So it's either you do this thing or you don't get it. And that's it. It's black and white. There's nothing else. And I think with any of these, we all end up at the same point, right? It's just the point of resentment where either you're resentful at yourself because you're not measuring up or you're failing yet again, or you end up resentful of them, whoever the them is, right? Because you will hate them in inverted commas enough that you no longer force yourself to subscribe to what you perceive they want from you. And that repulsion cycle both ways is just designed to bring you back into deeper integrity with yourself. Julie, you have such a beautiful way of making some really complex ideas make sense. And I love that you've walked us through all of these different pathways to the same point. And I'd love to really highlight the pathway that you were talking about, the overfunctioning. So doing all the things and also the energy that we get from doing all the things, from being responsible for being the busy one, like it feels so good. It's so seductive. Especially if like taking pieces and I do think, you know, maybe we also overlap and have pieces of each of those two, like especially, you know, when we get a hit for 
you know, well, we're validated. This world validates us for our output rather than our beingness. And if I'm not here, things are going to fall apart. Like I am so needed in this system. I am literally the middle. Everything revolves around me making this work in this moment. And we get so wrapped up into that and then noticing that that can move then to overwhelm. Like, why am I doing all the things? Who put me in this position? Like, this is not feeling so good. It's not feeling so warm and fuzzy anymore. No, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the strategy that you learn and all of our strategies, we needed at some point. So there's nothing wrong with any of those strategies. It, you needed it. It worked for you at some point. We don't need to judge it. And it's a skill set, right? Whatever your strategy is, does still have a light side. It has a skill to it. And the skill is, you know, that old adage, if you need something done, give it to a busy person because they have a type of hyper functionality that allows them to like a hundred X their productivity. You know how we're all obsessed with, you know, 10 Xing our productivity. These people are generally the absolute bomb at it. Can't, no one will do it better, particularly if you add on top of that, that they're a mother and every mother I know, what couldn't she do in 20 minutes? Same deal here, right? So she tends to go like a bat out of hell wherever she is in it, you know? So that's as much a beautiful thing, but we have to be careful that we're utilizing our productivity and that energy output for things that are deeply meaningful to us and things that we really are in alignment and integrity with doing. Because what you don't want to do is just end up where you're at the point where you do the thing, but then you use it as ammo to hate that person or say that you had no power and you had to later. Because that's the destructive shadow side of that. Use your superpower, use it in ways that are really meaningful to you. You really love that particular thing. You're the best person for the job. You can get it done in 20 minutes. Someone else will get it done in four hours. Fine. But know your reasons and make sure they're in integrity, not because you're trying to prove your worth or get so much done on a list or because you get a dopamine hit by ticking something off of a list because being nothing and just being valued for who you are without anything is really hard for you. And the harder that is for you, the more you will find and hustle for your worthiness to be based on what you do, right? So those two key points, I think, are really important when we're talking about resentment is get super clear. What do you love to do? I can do it and I'm the best person for the job. Cool. But you're not, you know, the pack horse that can just keep adding on and adding on and adding on and adding on and never taking anything off. So it becomes, you really need to get really good at efficient systems, not just productivity. And you have to remove your worth from your productivity. And look, I imagine, Meg, I mean, my personal belief as a mother of four children is that teachers have the most profound impact on my children, profound. And I can see that who a teacher be in the classroom is worth a hundred times what she does or he does. Because I'm sure we all know it doesn't matter if we're at home with our children or, you know, at a park with a group of kids or teaching in a classroom, I imagine it's even more potent, is if I'm feeling dysregulated and I'm like full of tension and tight and I'm already like right, kind of on that tipping breaking point, then kids pick up on that. Their nervous systems will start to reflect that. They'll start to ping and annoy you in just the right ways that you get to explode and let a little of that pressure cooker out and the classroom gets really dysregulated. 
Whereas a teacher in a space that's really regulated and knows her worth as a being, as like a beacon that sets the energy of that environment and the effect that her beingness or his beingness has on that environment, that's profound. So, so I think get really super clear. If it's really meaningful, you're the best person for the job, do it. But you need more efficient systems and to detach it from your worth and identity. Yes, what you're highlighting here beautifully, Julie, is that distinction between being busy, just being in motion, just keeping moving versus being deliberate, being actionful. They're very different energies. We can use busyness the same way we use food in our mouths and um, TV and phones to distract us from the bigger feelings. And our busyness can be so, again, justified, if not celebrated by the world that we live in. So it becomes a really easy way to ignore ourselves or to never really settle in home, I suppose, in a contented state within ourselves. We can just be so busy. We don't have time to talk to people and we don't have time to have meaningful conversations. We don't have time to reflect. And, you know, I've got five minutes. I could rest so that I've got something left for my partner at the end of the day, but instead I'm going to fill it with this. We just, again, have to be aware when we're using our superpower for good and when our superpower is perhaps creating more destruction or what's really meaningful to us in our life. And that's really highlighting how functional all of this can be. You know, we're trying to protect ourselves from the discomfort, the discomfort of maybe it's not them, maybe it's me, maybe there's opportunity here. I remember when I first started learning these concepts, my traditional pattern when I was overfunctioning, moved to overwhelm, when I was in resentment, I would be really loud in my head, like my head was really loud, talking about all the things that my husband should be doing, all the things he should be doing. And then I started to notice that I was holding score, like me versus him, how much has he done? Like I'm doing more, obviously, like everyone knows that I'm winning this game. He doesn't even know he's in the game, but it's really loud. It's really busy. I'm point scoring, you know, the same thing happening in the classroom about report, people thinking, oh, you've got, you've got five classes. Well, I've got six and you've got three or you're only PE. And I'm, we just start this busy war in our head that no one actually hears, but it's really, really loud. And then I started to get curious and think, actually, this is not about them. I am overwhelmed. This is too much for me. And how about I find a way quiet my mind, my body, before I make it somebody else's fault. And that, for me, transformed my relationships in every area of my life. I think what you've highlighted is perfect, right? So what you've highlighted is the first step, which is just to change the camera lens that you're looking at this feeling through or this, which allows you to change the meaning that you make about this moment, right? I mean, that's the first step you did is you went, hey, And I'm not saying that it's not true. Like I do think there is true inequalities as well, right? Like mental load, definitely there's inequality there. The way that often Family Inc. runs, definitely inequality there. I'm sure like all systems, like family systems, school systems have a level of inequality within them. What we don't want to do though is just spend all this time seething in this poison pool and drinking it because we're not getting better in that scenario. Like we're not feeling better. The way our life is functioning is not feeling better. We're not coming home better people. We're not having better relationships and we're certainly not making more money or living a better life when we're kind of just circling in that pool. So the question is more, 
how do I elevate this feeling so I can create the life that I really want to be living? Because resentment doesn't feel good. Yes, it's feedback, but it doesn't mean it feels good and you enjoy it. I say I like it because it reminds me in a very strong way because I don't like it that I've gone too far. There's something I'm doing here that I don't really want to be doing. And I've lost my power somewhere in that I've lost my voice. Why? I've lost my way and subscribed to I have to, blah, blah, blah. Why? Do I? Do I want to? Because saying nothing is just like saying yes. It's still a choice. That reminds me. I, my, actually, I'll tell you, my son used to have this T-shirt that used to say, stay in your lane. He loves basketball and we run lanes in basketball. And it was this white T-shirt with these huge black letters, stay in your lane. And I see that T-shirt every time, particularly when I'm in moments like this, because it reminds me I've started swimming, walking, basketballing in someone else's lane. I'm not in my own lane. I feel really vibrant and alive in my lane. I'm designed to. And the more I start to move into other people's lanes, that starts to filter away. I start to feel a little less good and then really not good. And maybe I get sick more often. Maybe I have a shorter fuse with everyone around me. Maybe I'm really exhausted or I'm not sleeping well or that pounding kind of head mental load you were talking about does not ever leave me. I feel like a slave to the slave master that's inside of my head. That happens when I'm in someone else's lane, right? Because the boundaries of my lane have been crossed and maybe I'm complicit in that. Maybe I have, without necessarily being aware because it's a habit that's kept me safe, I've overrun some boundaries or maybe I've changed my life has changed. The season of life I'm in has changed. My needs have changed. The way I see the world has changed. Something's changed. And what used to work for me no longer does. That's fine. Boundaries will change as you do. And you will change. The way you do work will change. But something has changed. So the first step has to be, instead of wasting my energy seething and just drinking more of that poison, and instead of wasting my energy focused on the other person or organization, they're so, they're not, they don't see me, blah, blah, blah. How about I just take some of that power, which is the energy I'm pushing out everywhere back into me and go, I have choice here. What choice do I want? Because this is just feedback. Something's not right. And sometimes we don't even know what it is to begin with. I mean, I do this. I go through, I'm like, right, I've got that feeling going on. It's not good. In fact, it's really corrosive. It's corrosive for, you know, a business relationship, a work relationship, a home life relationship. It's corrosive. It deteriorates what's possible between you and I. That's not me living my best life. That's not it. Me living my best life has these profound relationships that make me and you better, right? One plus one equals 10. It's, you know, as an individual, you're great, but too much self-sufficiency, you stay that just as one. But when, you know, this is the purpose of relationship, it is designed to make everybody better. So when I notice that it's really not working, I'm like, I'm feeling really angry at you, resenting you. And I'm doing some, you know, behaviors that most in integrity, high vibe me wouldn't do. Would I want, you know, my best friend or the stranger down the street or the mom in the school to see me truly like this? No, it's not my best version of me. 
So I just need to take a minute with myself and work out what's going on because it's getting messy. And I'll literally sit there and I'll just go, right, what am I resenting? What is it? Because I might not even know to begin with. I just notice the feeling first or I start doing what you did, Meg, and you start running the stories. They're so, how could they? How dare they? They don't realize I'm doing blah, blah, blah. And they're sitting on the couch or, you know, they think they've got it bad. They have no idea what my life is like, you know, all all of these things. So what am I actually resenting? Let me get really clear. What is it? What is happening? What's going on here that the feedback is I'm, it's not okay with me. The next step of that is what you did also, Meg, which was go, okay, how am I complicit in this? This hasn't been done to me, you know, whether conscious or unconscious, there's part of me that's gone along with the setup. This dynamic is created by two people. Every dynamic is. So how am I complicit? How have I played along here for something that I actually, if I'm really honest, don't want to do anymore? Have I lost too much of myself here? Have I overridden any of my boundaries or a boundary? What could it be? Am I in integrity and absolute truth with myself and with others? Or am I withholding and holding stuff back and just expecting that they'll read my mind or read between the lines, which I can tell you nobody is very good at? Am I coercing myself and rationalizing all of the ways that this makes sense? When really the feedback that my body is giving me and my heart is giving me is I'm not okay here and this isn't okay and something needs to change. So can I get clear? on what the co-created setup is, because then it allows me to go, what do I want to change? What don't I want to do anymore? What don't I want to be doing anymore? How else could this look? So I love to sit there and go, how else could this look? Like if we threw spaghetti at the wall, or I'm sure as teachers, you love a mind map or a bit of butcher's paper on the wall that you can just chuck all sorts of stuff on, get crazy get creative. Uh, What are all of the possibilities? Because there's not only one, it's only you. There's not only one reality. There's so many realities. When I step back, who steps up? If I didn't do this, who would? How else might this look? Are there ways that I'm doing things that could be more efficient? Are some of my systems taking too much time or too much energy? Could I increase efficiency? Maybe. Am I speaking my truth to the people who need to hear it? Maybe not. Can I let go? Can I let go of this? Can I let go of control? Can I trust that I'm going to stay safe, like on a really primal level, that I can be in conflict, that I can say no in a relationship and still be loved? Right? So we might have learned that as kids but we carry that forwards as adults in our intimate relationships and in even our workplace relationships. It's really unsafe for me to go against the grain, to rock the boat, to say no, you know, and I don't know about you, Megan, probably some of your listeners are high school teachers. Gen Y blow my freaking mind on how good they are at this. And I think we could take a leaf from their book because I can tell you my teens, my oldest is 17. My teens well, you know, listen to me going, whatever, can you take the bins out and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I might be doing it as I'm rushing around and they will literally just stop their bodies and like have one of those emoji cloud thinking moments where they're like, oh. and it's almost like they're checking in with themselves. 
check out like how do I feel about this request? And then they'll say to me, yeah, you know, that doesn't work for me. And I'm sure teachers hear this as well. That doesn't work for me. And they don't say it with malice. And they don't say it as a way just to kind of stab you a little bit or to be annoying or irritating. They're literally saying, I want to stay in relationship with you. Can we have a conversation about this as a negotiation rather than it being some sort of authoritarian process? It doesn't work for me. And then I get to go, doesn't it? (laughs) Okay. How else could this look? And we get to do that with employers and we get to do that with our lovers. And I think sometimes the next generation will show us the ways in which our generation needs to become more flexible. And I also imagine as teachers, you have such a wonderful opportunity to witness that and maybe take a leaf of it. Without a doubt, Julie, when I work with senior students in leadership, I just look at them and think, wow, you are so much more evolved than I ever was when I was your age. And the graduates coming into teaching, it's really interesting because they're coming in saying, happy to work 0.7. They don't want to work full time. And then so for so many of us that have been through the traditional system, I think, what do you mean? No one worked 0.7 as a graduate. Like, like, because the new wave coming through, learning some of these lessons that we're working really hard to catch up on. And they just look around and think, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to work that hard. That's ridiculous. Like that's, that's a two-person job, not a one-person job. And I think there's some tension in that and challenge in that, especially for the ones who felt like, well, I've done my hard yards and this is how it is. But then also there's that, gosh, I wish I had that courage. I wish I had that ability to be strong in myself at that age. I hear that everywhere. I hear that from all different career sectors is just that stark change. You know, there's the people that are 50 to 70 who are just like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for the job. Please never fire me. And then there's the kind of 30s and 40s now who are like, you know, or you know, maybe more 40s, 50s, I'll work myself into the ground to, you know, get done or to prove or to, you know, whatever. And then there's probably more the 20s to 30s now who are a bit more like, you know, I'll show up, I'll work hard, but it's, it's my assigned hours. I clock in at nine, I leave at five, doesn't matter what's done or undone. And then there's Gen Y that's like, 0.7 is fantastic and that is all you can expect from me. To wrap up this beautiful conversation, Julie, I would love to invite you to finish four sentences. Are you up for that? I am ready. I am inspired by... But real love, like love that's been a bit broken, that's known struggle and challenge and hurt and mistrust. You know, it's messy, real love. And yet that moment where people find each other again, but it's deeper than it's ever been before, that I live for it. When life feels hard? I give myself more creative time. An underrated skill is? Cheese making. Because what can a good cheese do? And I'm looking forward to. I had so much trouble when I thought about this. I'm like, I don't know. I'm looking forward to everything, which sounds so trite. I was like, I'm looking forward to my kids growing up. I'm looking, you know, all of the things. And I was like, you know what I really am looking forward to when we consider this conversation of the me and the we is I'm actually just really looking forward to finding and knowing the mystery that is me. And I don't think I really know myself. 42, I don't think I really know myself yet. And I think that about every human. I don't know who you are yet. I've been with my husband for, gosh, I don't know, 22 years now. And I'm like, I don't know who you are. What a mystery. 
How fantastic. I can't wait to see what I'm capable of and who I am. And I think that's what I'm most looking forward to. Julie, thank you so much for beautifully taking us down the roads of resentment, but then also gently walking us out of resentment. I think it is such a skill and it makes me so excited to think what could our lives look like if we learn how to navigate resentment just a little bit more. So thank you so much for that. And thank you for being guest on the School of Wellbeing podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. What a joy to be able to share Julie's warmth and wisdom with you. I hope this conversation has really got you thinking about resentment and how it arises in your life and more importantly, how you can move beyond it. To learn more about Julie and her incredible work in the world, see the show notes for more details. Julie's book is Flowers and Honey. The art of relationship, love and desire is now available online. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with anyone you know that would benefit from listening or reach out to me on Instagram or LinkedIn and let me know what resonated most with you. Has the School of Wellbeing made a positive impact in your life? I would love to hear from you. In the lead up to the 100th episode, I would love to hear what you have learned and what action you have been taking since listening to the podcast. Please send us an email or a voice message to hello at openmindeducation.com and we look forward to hearing from you and sharing your wins with our growing community of big-hearted educators that are ready to take the next step on their wellbeing journey. To learn more about the ways that I can help you and your school community thrive, visit my website, openmindeducation.com. There you can book me to speak, learn about my game-changing wellbeing programs or download my free five-step energy guide. You can find all the links from today's episode at openmindeducation.com forward slash episode 95. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Wellbeing and I look forward to sharing more heartfelt conversations with you next week. Until then, take care and take deliberate action. Deliberate action.